Welcome to the Stripped Money Podcast with Lungile. Thank you for giving us your ears as we break down money to its bare bones, letting you know how your money can work for you. Welcome to Stripped Money Conversations, everyone. I am your host, Lungile Mashiro. One of our goals for this show is to shine the light on entrepreneurs, but there's nothing that I love more than a U-turn story how someone can be on a path that seems to be the right path, and then they step back and go, now nah, fam, I want to do something else. And that's who I have with me today, an amazing woman with such a great turnaround story. You're going to love hearing from my guest today if you're entrepreneurial and have a passion for fashion. Hello, Anna, and welcome to Stripped Money Conversations. Hi, Lumi. Cool. So I have had quite an interesting journey in meeting you. So <laughs> I was planning my wedding, I think in 2016. Yeah. Or early 2017. Wow. And I met you at an expo. I mean, I had consciously made a decision to try in as much as possible to hire um, black vendors for my wedding, which was very difficult because you can't, you don't necessarily find um a lot of black people in your space, especially in the wedding dress category. So I was mm-hmm. very happy when I met you. And I think <laughs> my experience from that day onwards was just amazing with um, how you handled um, the creation of my wedding dress and all of that. So yeah, I Thank thought you. today might be a great opportunity just to chat to you about your money and your story, because you've got quite an interesting story to get to where you are in your career. Maybe just before we get into that, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Oh, where do I begin? Me and my <laughs> crazy thing. <laughs> um, my name is Anna Dudonato, and I am a qualified medical doctor who decided to follow a passion in fashion design. So I'd always had this passion for fashion, and I loved, I think my when I think back to my university days, my greatest um, excitement in terms of like what I would be doing was what I was going to wear to lectures. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of gave me like an idea that like my passion truly lay in, um, in fashion. And even when I was trying to figure out what sort of speci- specialty I should do, I really was looking at things where I was like, okay, will I be allowed to wear my, amazing clothes and not look too ridiculous <laughs> in that coat yeah <laughs> thank god in south africa you don't really have to wear the white coat mm. so but then you've got specialties like anesthetics where you have to wear scrubs and i'm like oh my goodness i could not could not live in scrubs all day <laughs> actually funny enough i started my business when mm-hmm. i was in an intern and i started making scrubs i hated the the way the scrubs fit they were so ugly and they were, they, there was no difference between the male scrubs and the female scrubs. Mm. And then I wanted them to be more form-fitting, more flattering, and with different colors. So like the bright blues and the yellows and the pinks. And yeah. so that's kind of what I started doing. And that's where I started learning how to um, sort of run a business and do sales. But that wasn't, that was quite short-lived because um, I really didn't have much experience. Mm. And I kind of fell into wedding dresses by mistake because one of my friends was getting married. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, and it's so weird because I always thought when my friends would get married or people would have like matric dance dresses, and this is way before I even got into fashion, I'd be like, oh my God, what I would give to just design someone's dress, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so like um, I talked her into like allowing me to to do some of her bridesmaids dresses and her actual wedding dress and that's kind of where, we, where it started okay that's interesting but let's start at the beginning <laughs> let's start about your medical yeah. doctor career and how you um, decided to be a medical doctor um from a very early early age I remember wanting to be a doctor and I think also you know in at school when you do really well, you're kind of pushed into your professional degrees. You know, you, mm-hmm. you have, I come from a background where my, my mom's not educated. My mom doesn't have um, a high school education and neither does my dad. So I was the first um, graduate in my family. And 
one of the big things is that when you do well at school from families like that a lot of you don't you don't actually think there's more options you know i didn't see anyone else with with a different option so yeah. the options that you saw were like medical doctor engineering um, law and accounting teacher nurse you know those sort of things so i kind of went into that and funny enough my mom made a living as a seamstress mm. so i had already i think that's where my love for fashion always i love fashion i love fabric you know like from a young age i always yeah. did so i went into medicine because i actually enjoyed it and i do like it's a it's my journey is a little more complicated than quitting medicine to do something else you know mm. because being a dual citizen and a citizen of the world in many ways i've had i've struggled with um for example in south africa i'm an italian citizen and yeah. i studied in zimbabwe because my mother is zimbabwean so i couldn't i studied adverts i did my medical degree adverts but i couldn't actually um work in private until i got permanent residence which took forever and you know how bureaucratic our home home affairs situation is in South Africa even though yeah. I've been married to a South African citizen for over like 10 years so it took them so long to give me um perm raise and I really didn't want to work in government mm-hmm. because I was incredibly disillusioned in government you know we worked long hours and it was just one of those things like it wasn't what I thought it was you know mm-hmm. um with the lack of resources and really my big interest was and still is in dermatology and medical aesthetics. So if I worked in the time that I was um waiting for perm raise, I would have had to work as in internal medicine or, or casualty or something like that which really wasn't the medicine I was interested in. Okay. So I decided to exit and at the time I had my son and then I you know I I played around after I did the scrubs and then I rented a little space in town and got a tailor and started just making stuff. So what did people say when you decided to go in a different direction? I know you've you've mentioned that it wasn't really as cut and dry as just stopping and starting something else, but I'm sure people were like, uh-uh, "Anna, you can't leave um <laughs> being a medical doctor to go make dresses." I mean, what did they say? Goodness, that's that's very interesting. So I had two different kinds of experiences. Some people would um literally look at me like i'm crazy and say like what are you doing yeah you know this sounds crazy why would you quit and i think the big thing that people um value when it comes to things like medical it actually took me a long time to sort of um get over it as well is the prestige that comes with yes and the status you automatically have status if i go to the bank and i say my i'm dr d donato i get more respect than if mm. i say hi i'm anna did not with a fashion designer. So, you know, that sort of thing was very difficult because a lot of friends and family, a majority of my friends are doctors. So, a lot of a lot of people who um saw me do it at first were like, she's crazy. What is she doing? She's doing like a great career to go do something. What is she going to do with this? What does she even know? Fine, she loves clothes and she dresses well, but like what what is she doing you know but then i also had some remarkable people my mother in law my mom my dad my my um husband my best friends my two best friends jolda and aj and my other friends sorana and yusuf they were so instrumental in giving me the confidence you know yeah. telling me i could do it and saying literally whatever you put your mind to if you decide to do it you can you know and that's one thing that helped a lot and my husband was integral in this because he um said like kept on saying to me like nothing stops you you know like financially we were well off mm-hmm. and i didn't need to make keep making an income because he could actually manage the finances whilst i really did follow my my passion without the pressure of having to use utilize the income to keep our household going. Mm. If you know I what I mean. That's, yeah, I suppose that's a big uh benefit. I mean, if you are if you can follow your passion and you've got all that support, <laughs> a little confidence goes a long way, I suppose. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So But it helps to have yeah. you know with a dual income. Mm. If you have a dual income and then the other partner can 
hopefully see that this is a big dream and a passion and sacrifice the other income, you know, to, to, to allow for the, for, for, the, for the other partner, whichever partner it is, that wants to start up a business or start up something else. You know, you can't do it on your own, especially if you're in a marriage. You need mm-hmm. the buy-in. You need their buy-in because Absolutely. they're going to have to take on so much more. And they anticipated, I suppose, in the beginning. Yeah. Cool. Well, kudos to your husband. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know a lot of <laughs> a lot of people who would do that. <laughs> no, but it's not. It's also stre- stressful because I mean, you 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 really have to work so hard to make sure you, especially coming from um, a career like medicine, right? Mm. Now to 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 actually make anyone else around you take you seriously you need to actually make sure the business is starting to make an income mm-hmm. that is similar to or comparable to what you were making anyway yeah. you know it's really hard and so it's, it's a big 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 stressful thing to put on a young business because business itself my goodness is so difficult because Especially already in, in, the, in those the first few years yeah like for it to stand on its own and like pay its own bills and everything by the time you get there in the meantime, once you're getting there, like everyone's looking at you like, Whoa, what is she doing? Just quit and go back, mm. you know? So, yeah, it's, it, you need the buy-in. You need the buy-in of friends. You need the buy-in of family and especially spouses if, you, if, if you're married. Mm. So um, inventing something new, starting something afresh and bringing it to market seems like could be an uphill battle. What would you mm-hmm. say was the big lesson you learned in the process of starting your new business? Whew, I learned many lessons. And, but the big one I must say is, um, you know, get, get your financial house in order and know, learning what the, how to do your finances for the business. And I think a lot of people, and it's me included, you don't learn like basic accounting and, and basic bookkeeping and like, um, you know, trying to, to make sure you, you're running at a profit, you know, yeah. like you, you don't know how to price. You have a dream at first. And this is the big thing. The big lesson that I did learn was if you really want to make your business successful, you need to stop running it like a hobby. You have to sometimes have to stop thinking about just the passion of, of that business and is what you're doing actually financially um sound you know are you making a profit is there demand for the product that you've got you can't i mean it's all good and well and this is the lesson i learned especially having the financial backing Mm -hmm. so for me it took me a long time i'm ashamed to say to actually learn and to actually to 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 let the business stand on its own because it was just too easy to to dip dip into the to into the personal finances. Mm. So for a long time, I mean, I operated my business from home, which I will always advocate for because at least one, that was one thing that I didn't do. I could afford to go and um, start and make it look all fancy. Um, if I want, if I, if I did, if I wanted to, but one of the big things that my husband was not going to have was financing that part of the business because he, he knew that there was no way that I would, um, be able to keep up the rent on my own for the business on its own Mm. the first few years. Yeah. So I, I then worked from home to do that because when you do have that financial backing, it's sometimes very easy to to, to, to squander the money and, and not learn and the not lines, to, I suppose. Yeah. It takes you longer to learn actually to get the, to get the business on. I wish I could go back now with the knowledge I know and start again. And I think <laughs> I would have gotten it um, on its feet much faster than I actually did. Okay. And I don't think, well, personally, I don't think it, took away from anything because I, I was your client when you were running your business from home. And I think the experience was just the same as what I've seen you run in a physical official establishment. So I think it's a good tip for anybody who's starting to say, you know who you are, run your business where you can in the most um, cost-effective place. And then when yeah. you're ready to, to bloom, I mean, you just take copy and paste to your new premises. The level of service should not change based on where you are. Yeah. But I think this is, the bigger thing is the fact that like 
you don't you don't need the bells and whistles to start the business you know i remember i remember a lot of my friends would be like oh one day anna you'll have a boutique in santon mm. and i'm like no don't wish me the boutique in santon wish me to make profits yeah. i need to, i yeah. want to make profit i want this business to be sustainable to be self sustained to run on its own from start to finish that to me it doesn't matter where you're running it a lot of mm. business, um bridal boutiques have actually moved to people's personal homes back to to homes because it's cheaper and more cost effective there's no point in in showcasing this beautiful boutique and yet the business is actually working at a loss yeah Absolutely. So there are millions of wedding dresses out there and peop- and um yeah, so many places for people to choose from in the market. I know when I was searching for a dress, I probably went to 10 boutiques and I couldn't yeah. find what I wanted. But then how do you differentiate yourself in the market? I think one of the big things that I've um, sort of stumbled upon is the fact that like I want Zordwa to be a black brand by a black entrepreneur designer for black people. Um, and I'm not being exclusionary in terms of like um, Caucasian people can buy from us and everything. But one of the things I noticed, and you remember, you, you saw us at the expo, hmm. um, Coastal Farm Expo is, um, is the one that um, we met at. And one of the things I distinctly remember and it was very difficult for, for a new a person in the business. When I first started, I thought, oh, to appeal to everyone in the market, I should have um, like a white model with a black model and, you know, trying to push. So for me, I thought to be successful in the wedding market, I need to get white clients. But I quickly realized that white clients, for whatever reason, and I don't know what it I think this is one of the things that I've, I, we've struggled um, as black suppliers to understand, white clients very rarely support black suppliers. And our black clients, though, and I remember this very interesting thing happened where you'd be standing at Oakfield, you have like a ratio of 10 to 1, 10 um, Caucasian people to one black couple that will come in. Mm-hmm. And you'll get 10 rejections Oh my God. And there were flat out rejections. Most of them would be like nice, nice about it. But there were, there were rejections nonetheless. Mm. And then the few years you keep doing it, you're like, Oh my God, like every year, this is kind of like how I feel like every, like nine couples out of 10, like come in and just like white couples are like, what the hell is going on? Especially if you put in the the traditional wedding dresses, they just didn't get it. And then I remember every single time, then the black couple would come in and the wife, the, the bride-to-be would have been following us on Instagram and she would literally scream from the mm. end of, like from the door and would be at the back. <laughs> so, and then people would be looking like, what the hell is going on? And I remember thinking, oh my God, I have this completely wrong. My target audience, my consumer is, is my, the black bride. And it's time that they see themselves in a black brand that represents everything about who we are and unapologetically so. So even my, my um, marketing, I completely got rid of all the photographs that I, I was using at the time with the mix, like mixed, ra- like mixed um, races mm. and went for more, um, more marketing to showcase black wedding, wedding, wedding dresses, um, black models, of different sizes. And I felt like this is, this is the niche. This is what I want to be. I want to be an international brand recognized internationally and sought after internationally, but a purely South African black brand that is sought after internationally. And that completely shifted everything. Once I got that, I realized that's what sets me apart. And that is what I want it has to be international standard, everything, you know, like I, I don't even look at the local competition as yeah. the standard. The standard is what is the best international wedding brands, the best international designer wedding brands out there. And that's who I want to reach. That's the level I want to reach because as a black South African brand, we need 
we need brands like that internationally that are recognized everywhere, but unapologetically African. Mm. So that's, that's what sets us apart completely. Sheesh, that's, that's mind blowing because it's hard, like, like you, you were saying, it's hard to actually, even for the black bride to resonate with some of the, not to take anything away from them, but like literally I, all those boutiques that I went to were not black owned. And it just, Mm -hmm. there was a vibe, man, that I didn't feel like this person um, understood me, understood my needs. And then until I met you, I I don't know if it was because we could just step away from the English and and speak, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in our own language or what it was. But I just felt like you understand exactly what I'm looking for. You understand my body type and all of that. So I think there's a a big gap in the market for... um, black um businesses like i said when i did my wedding i mm-hmm. purposefully wanted to use black vendors and it was difficult to find people that you that are reputable um who are black yep um so i think it's a it's a very it, it shouldn't be a niche market but unfortunately in south africa it seems like it is it, so it is yeah, very cool but um, that's actually, I, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with my other business that I run with my business partner, Unaiti Mbonambi, mm. Mzanti Bride. Yeah. And this is exactly what it tries to um, like fix because we have issues with black suppliers not being able to reach the market mm. and also not being held accountable for the kind of service we are providing. And in a lot of us, we learn on the go, like most entrepreneurs anyway, but black, black suppliers specifically we have so many historic disadvantages you know we start like i said like the first graduate in your family and Mm. probably the first person to ever run a business you don't know you don't know what you don't know until you learn it you know so we decided to join forces and actually start having this um collective Mm. of black reputable wedding suppliers and it's in zanti bride and that's exactly what our whole whole thing is is to make sure we are out there and people know we're there and the brides now, because brides were coming and a lot of the brides are like, I would like to have a black wedding, um, black wedding suppliers. So like your wedding dress, your cake, your event planners, and they, they're out there. If you actually, and we just wanted to make sure we, we, we put them together mm-hmm. so that we all, you can easily find us in one place. So it's been amazing. We even had our own um, expo last year. And it was so incredible because the turnout, just from that, you could see this is what our brides have been waiting for. This is what they want, you know. So hopefully next year, if Corona um, doesn't destroy our plans like it did this year, we will have another expo and we'll grow from strength to strength. Because that's, to me, and that's another thing that I do. I love to mentor black, um, young black up-and-coming female designers because Mm. And within the wedding space, I tell my, my other designer friends, get into the wedding space. You know, we, I'm not one of those people who wants to be a monopoly within yeah. that space. I believe that, like, if we uplift young designers, we can really take over the industry. Yeah, that's very cool. I think you launched, um, you guys launched Mzanzi Bride right after my wedding. I was very disappointed with that, but <laughs> that's a story for another day. But I think it's a very cool concept. I absolutely loved it when I saw it. And I think, yeah, I think you, you, you guys have definitely hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> you spoke about um, being sought after internationally is one of the aims of your business. Um, do you... How do you how do you do that? I mean, how do you how do you make sure? I mean, we've seen your dresses on Top Billing, Our Perfect Wedding, and some other TV shows, and and obviously you have to market yourself in some way to get there. How did you introduce yourself to these people? Are there any tips that our listeners can take from that? I mean, it's hard for someone to to just step out and and what and I don't know talk to the industry or whatever industry they're in. Um, what are the steps that you took to get there? Um, I mean, some things were pure luck. I mean, having had a friend refer me to sort of to certain um, TV production companies helped, mm. as well as like one thing I do remember is I don't even know who this event planner was. I have my suspicions, but um, re- referring to when, say, for example, 
um, they get an opportunity and then they say, oh, do you know a wedding designer who could help us to dress people for broken vows? And then the event planner actually gives your name, mm. you know? So that one, I never found out who it actually was who did that. And then another great event planner, for example, Mabusha from Innovative Events helped to get us on um, one other TV show. Um, so having people and making those connections and, and, and networking helps a lot, you know, to get on top billing. We ended up doing a celebrity wedding and that was actually just, from the cousin of Tacky's who, who found us on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, she found so awesome. you saw your dress on Instagram. But to be honest, my business, one of the most amazing things is I've been so blessed to have some of the most amazing brides like yourself, who I feel like I have great relationships with even in the time that like um, has gone since your wedding, you and I still keep in, in, in touch, you know, and I do that with a lot of my brides. And I've always felt that like, I, I, I love the relationship I, I, I develop with, with the brides. And word of mouth is the most incredible tool. Like that grew my business in the first year. Like um, when you got married, I think 20 brides just from your wedding alone, you know, just from seeing you, from you, you referring and people, you know, that sort of thing. And it kind of spiraled from that. But one of the big things is, Insta is Instagram. Instagram was a bit of a game changer because I think it, it made it easier to access like a, a big um, Audience. community without spending a lot of money. You know, because it's, it's prohibitive when, you, when you're starting out to start getting a PR company or like to pay for um, ads and television, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. So, but word of mouth and really um, networking with other people in the industry who then refer clients to you. So that is the way. And one of the big things for us where we've dressed um, brides internationally is because um, we have a lot of brides in the diaspora. So you have brides from Zimbabwe, who go all the way to the UK, who then don't find black designers that they, 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 they can support and then look to back home or to Africa for the actual designers who can understand, like we said, can understand the mm -hmm. black female body and understand what we are all looking for in terms of like representation in the industry, you know? So that's, that's, that's been big. Cool. I think word of mouth is good, but I think it all starts with the relationships and how you engage with your customers. I mean, if I had the worst experience with you, I wouldn't have referred anybody to you. Um, so yes, we can give kudos to the networking and all of that, but how you treat every individual bride, in my view, is what has set you apart. Um, oh. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> is what has set you apart. And I think that it's a, it's a, it's a, big thing that a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand is that you might have the most beautiful product, but if your service yeah. or how you engage with your customers is not top notch, then you're not going to grow your business. That's true. Actually, that brings me to a, another interesting story because I learned that the hard way as well. So I, as I started to expand, I decided to start hiring um, other people to help with because the workload was getting insane and I couldn't see every bride and we were getting like a lot of requests and stuff you know so I hired unbeknownst to me one of the most honest employees who at first was like wow like a dream because she was doing such a good job and then I don't know what shifted what changed I started getting these complaints from mm -hmm. brides and to this day, when I think about it, it just breaks my heart for the brides that I'd had in that time period because the things she was doing, the service she was giving, because I, in trying to expand, maybe I'd expanded too quickly and maybe didn't vet the, 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 the employee properly, you know, and not, it was, it, it's a lesson that I guess you learn as an entrepreneur the hard way because you don't, mm. you, there's no way you can keep tabs on everything that your employee is doing. But the complaints, and this is the one thing I will thank those brides for forever. It was very difficult to hear mm. when they would turn around and complain. And luckily for me, one, one thing I always did was, even though I didn't see every bride at that stage, I made sure that the brides had a direct line to me. 
and yeah. brides yeah. who were honest enough and the ones that would probably had a terrible experience and never came back and never referred and I never even knew about it. Those are also heartbreaking. But the ones who turned around and said, Anna, you need to check what this employee is doing. This is what she did. She was, she even called one of the brides fat to her face. You know, things that, you know, when I think back to that, besides the fact that there was stealing and like dishonesty going on, it was just one of those heartbreaking things because one of the things that I've always, always, always prided, prided myself in is how the relationship I have with my brides mm. and knowing that some of those brides had had such a miserable experience because of this particular employee, it just broke me. And this is something I found out last year. And then luckily I just fired her and then had to like um, sue her. And oh, it was like a whole big thing. But it's, it was a lesson to me because even now the team that I have, I've made sure that I've like, I'm checking. I check in with the clients. I even call the clients afterwards to find mm-hmm. out like how was your experience please rate our service you know and to me that is the biggest um one of my other big goals to, is to have the brides coming out saying what an amazing experience they've had do you have um a story about how you learned about money as a kid maybe how it works um you know sometimes there are money moments which you have as a kid when you look back as an adult and you think, oh my gosh, that was actually a great money lesson. Actually, I do. Remember I said my mom was um, a seamstress mm. and she ran her small business. But one thing I always remember, and this is something that always stuck with me, is that my mom, she, she lived from paycheck to paycheck, you know, month to month. And it was like she had clients, but she never had money. And I remember my brother and I would be like, what are you doing? Like, how do you never have money? <laughs> you know, yeah. if you didn't understand, like how are you running a business and never have money? So like that, that is one of my first um, money experiences, but with an entrepreneur and mm. like trying to figure out why, why do some people run businesses and never have money? You know, like, and I'm not saying have millions, but just you never have, you, you literally go from one job to the next. And if you don't have um, like a client now, you have no money saved. So like yeah. that, I could never understand what, what, what the situation was with that. Yeah. I think, I think our parents had a tough time. I mean, they didn't really get a good background in terms of financial education. I mean, you're lucky if they even taught you about saving in a 32 day um, bank account. Um, yeah. I suppose it's historic and all of that. But what can we what can we do? I think the, the the onus is on us to make sure that the next generation has a different experience of money. Exactly. But yeah. I, I would hope one day that the education system would at least teach us basics of entrepreneurship, you know, because that is a way for people to even provide jobs for themselves, mm. you know, without waiting for an employer to give them a job, you know. But basics, you just need basics. Yeah. And it seems like it's, it's, it's easy, but it isn't. No, it's not. Even just the basics of financial management, managing your money as soon as you get a job, um, mm-hmm. what do you do with the money? Because a lot of people like entrepreneurs are living from paycheck to paycheck only because they don't understand how money works. Exactly. So, yeah, it would be great. I know in, in other countries, I mean, the uh, money or finance, finance is a subject from grade one. So it would be amazing yeah. if, if they did that in South Africa as well. I think it would make such a huge impact on, on our children. It really would. It would it make such a big impact on the community in general. Mm. So you're an entrepreneur, you're a mom, you're a wife, and you wear all of these hats. What is your financial philosophy? Mm, what's my financial philosophy? I mean, for me, one of the big things, especially being a mom, and I don't want my children to learn the lessons that I had to learn as an entrepreneur the hard way. Mm. I want them to start to learn about being good with money now, you know? And one thing that we do as a family is making sure that like you're saving for the future and you have, you're planning ahead and looking ahead to see, you know, like 
especially when you're an entrepreneur, one of the other things we forget is retirement. What are you going to do when you retire? Because you're not putting away money for retirement. Mm. And it's things like that that you kind of now start having to think about when you have children. You know, you need to, to, to pay for things like life insurance and put away um, retirement annuities and those sort of things that like help you to grow, um, to be secure in your old age mm. and to also have have more security for your family so that's that's one of my big things is to teach the next generation about um being good with money you know mm. and also that money isn't everything yes. but that you know how to use it and 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 keep it <laughs> yeah i think the 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 key is to keep to keep the money tell yeah. me about um a money moment that you've experienced. Um, so what I, what, when I talk about a money moment is like, I don't know, a moment where you, we had an aha situation where, for example, when you felt that your business has legs or any other money moments outside of your, of your business. Um, outside, outside of my business or like, um, you decide my- up to you. <laughs> um, I think for my business, you know, I think I learned more about money within my business mm-hmm. and I'm still not the, the best in terms of like my financial knowledge and everything, because it's one of those things being a creative that just doesn't interest me. And it like bogs me down in terms of like having to account and like um, for everything within mm-hmm. the business. But one of the big, big, big things that I remember is realizing that as much as I wanted to have a lot of clients, and charging so little for the service that I was providing, I wasn't going anywhere. Mm. What was an aha moment for me was to actually sit down and calculate how much it cost me to, do, to, to make the dresses, how much my time cost, as well as what was comparable within the industry. And then repricing, that was a game changer for me. And it's something that I preach to a lot of um, young designers there's no point in getting a person to to, to buy a, say for example um you like um something for like two rand and you get 10 people spending two rand and you make 20 rand mm. instead of pricing it at 10 rand and only having to service two people to get 20 rand mm. so for me that was it sounds so stupid because it's like it sounds like basic math but it came back to how you value the product and how you value your, your time and your service mm. and, and value the brand. So I see a lot of people trying to undercut um, in the industry in terms of like, oh, I can make that exact dress for you for, um, say, for example, we will charge for a dress 20,000 rand and then someone will come in and say, I'll make that dress for you for like 5,000 rand. But it actually costs them. 4,500 rand to make that dress. So you're making 500 rand, but you've got 10 clients. Like that makes no sense. It makes no sense. You know, you'd rather make like the the profit margin be much higher and service less clients, you know, and do, you know, so it was, it's, it's that sort of aha moment for me that allowed my business to finally break even and start seeing a very healthy profit margin okay cool um we can't not talk about how COVID 19 has put a spanner in the works for a lot of businesses and i think your industry in particular has been impacted in a big in a big way how are you dealing with this financially and otherwise oh yeah it's been it's been a very interesting um experience because for me one of the big things was for the long for the longest time i've been trying to move away from making um mother of the bride dresses flower girl dresses and bridesmaid dresses and that sort of thing and like also i dabble in ready to in ready to wear clothing like winter stuff and you know summer dresses and that sort of thing so i wanted to completely streamline my um production process into just strictly white wedding dresses and like specialize, you know, like, and do that. Mm-hmm. And then COVID-19 hits and you're like, oh my God, my only stream of income, source of income is weddings. Yeah. The weddings are canceled for the next, God, for the, for the foreseeable future. So 
And that was very difficult because I also have quite a large staff and that to me was the most difficult thing because to take care of them meant eating into savings that like, you know, after a few years when you just felt like, wow, I think I've kind of, I'm, I'm there now, you know, like I've now running an actual business that makes money and contributes financially to my, to my household. And I have savings, you know, like I looked at my bank account and went, wow, I'm doing it, you know? Yeah. And, and for this to happen and now literally no income for, I think it's been what, four months mm-hmm. and having to still pay your staff because ethically as a business person, how do you let your employees, because even the, the amount that um, government had promised didn't come through, UIF didn't pay, they already exhausted the funds and what, you're not going to, I'm going to hold on to my savings. I had to, you know, like hold on to yeah. your savings, not help your staff members. So that, that was, was, was quite a um, difficult thing because you could actually see as you're doing it, money just going out, mm. money going out and not nothing coming in. Uh, nothing coming in. And one of the big things is I just gotten the most, what I, what I felt like was the most beautiful um, space that, we were operating in, you know, like we felt like, wow, this is what I want as the image for the brand and everything I, I, I dreamt about, you know, mm. and having to make a sacrifice of shutting down and canceling the lease. Um, luckily the landlord, um, she couldn't give us any, any relief on the rent, but we discussed with her to leave the lease earlier so that we wouldn't be paying, um, up to like it's in in like twenty thousand rand a month, mm. which would have been like in in four months, you know, you're already at like eighty thousand rand gone with no income. Yeah. So and that eighty thousand rand rather be used to sustain the employees, you know. And even now we're reopening in a smaller space with fewer staff. You know, I had to retrain a lot of my staff. Um, which is heartbreaking because I know they've got families and, but without knowing what sort of, what the business looks like going forward, what the event business industry looks like going forward, you know, you almost again have to stop thinking. So I always had two problems. One being that like, um, I can't separate the emotional part of the business from an entrepreneur, what you're supposed to do mm. as an entrepreneur, as a business person, you know, like when I think of my, 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 my um, staff members, I don't see them as just numbers, you know, and reducing their, their, their salary would mean making more money and that sort of thing. I see them as people with families, mm-hmm. you know, they're my family. And when I can't help pay them and I can't give them a job, it just breaks, it really breaks you as an entrepreneur, you know, because for me, one of the big things is the second thing was the fact that I want to provide employment, you know, Mm -hmm. to people within within South Africa. And what do you do? Because you now have to make the choice. Do I keep the business going with less staff, which means I just have to let other people go? You know, I can't, I can't imagine it. It's, it must be very, very difficult to make that those decisions and face your staff. Yeah. I want to run away many times. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> how, am I, how do I call someone? Oh, even when I think about it, it makes me want to cry. Yeah, um, sure. How do you call someone to say, look, I, I, can't, I can't afford to keep you? Mm. And even the fact that I had to sit there and choose which, which of the staff to keep. Yeah. How? How do I make it? You know? No, yeah. This time hasn't been easy at all for for a lot of businesses um yeah i know a lot of people who are impacted in a big way yeah but what can we do it is it is what it is and we just have to learn from it and i suppose adapt um i mean it's given a lot of businesses the opportunity to pivot and do something else um with their with their businesses but yeah and i think to make it to make it when times like this can happen to 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 a business right mm. what it it has afforded us is 
to relook at it, all your finances. So as hard as it is, you go, you know what? Do I need a place that costs this amount of money? Mm. Do I need, you know, like if you can do without and you really start re- being leaner, trim the fat and become leaner or pivot in terms of like, going towards something else or adding other services or whatever it is that you need to do. You know, for me right now, something I've neglected, I keep neglecting is my website and having to like revamp that in the time that Mm. I, that, that, that I've had off, you know, off of work. And that's kind of one, one thing I've been big on working on now, like making sure the website is up and running and, you know, so that even if they shut us down again, God forbid, a million times, yeah. they take us back to lockdown level four, five. You still can run the business somewhat remotely. Online. You know? Yeah. 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 I think the, the one thing that we've learned is if your business can't be online, um, you need to make sure that it is very quickly. Um, yeah. Because everybody's been very reliant on that at the moment. But it's sad because who buys a wedding dress online? No, you want to <laughs> touch it. You want to feel it. You want to put it on. But... <laughs> What is something that you spend your money on that makes your life simpler or better? Or anything that like, like Zalzi. I am a busy mom. I run a business. I have no time for going grocery shopping. Yeah. So anything that makes my life easier in terms of, for example, so I order um, groceries and they deliver them to my house mm. and it just adds that level of, of, of efficiency for me you know where i'm like okay i'm busy um i've got five minutes lunchtime and i quickly like go on my phone and order and i know that the groceries are already delivered to my house Mm. that's a good one um yeah it's a very good one yeah if you could strip (laughs) (laughs) i'm not being embarrassed about it either like no i don't think you should be it's like a washing machine, right? They, yeah. they exist so that you can do other things while the washing, washing is happening. So it's the same I thing. I tell all my brides, I'm like, listen, find things that make your life easier. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> if you could strip one money term down to its simplest form so that anybody can understand it, which one would it be? Oof, I don't know. To be honest, one of the worst parts of the job for me, mm. really, truly, like I hate it. You know, you kind of wish you had, I had so much money that I'd literally go like, can someone come handle the business side of the business and I can continue doing my creative thing? Yeah. And then someone else takes care of that. So my favorite money term is accountant. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On that note, this has been a very cool conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today and um yeah i think we've learned a lot about how to how you run your business and how to tailor your business to a very specific audience and how that can be quite a positive and profitable thing for your business and i really enjoyed hearing about um your your positioning into being a black brand because I feel like a lot of brands, although they exist, um, they, they're afraid to say that. And I don't know what's wrong with saying that this is my target audience and this is how I want to service them. So thank you so much for all of that amazing content. But last question for you is, tell me, tell us what's happening in the world of Zodwa Bridal. Um, tell us where people can reach you and all of that fun stuff. We are actually working on a new collection currently, which we're going to launch hopefully um, in the next two weeks. And we're also running a big competition. So one of the things I love to do, like I said, which is naughty, but I do love to give um, brides who are deserving, like um, gift them with their wedding gown. So we are running a competition right now for the bride who's going to, which we're going to announce on Friday next week. Um, who's going to have a free custom-designed wedding gown. Um, and also doing like this big stock sale. So one of the things that we're trying to do in terms of like recouping the losses we've made through Corona is to actually do the stock sale so we can get rid of a lot of the stock and recoup a lot of the capital from that. So that's what we're doing. So we are 
working from a temporary space for now, whilst we're still trying to see what the what the situation is without investing in a in a bigger property. So because we're also not going to be seeing a lot of clients, so we decided to just downsize in the meantime and just ride the storm until we can we can restart properly. But it's also a good lesson for someone like me where um, I do feel like at some point, you know, you, you grow too big mm-hmm. in terms of your, your costs and just scaling back a little bit and being more careful, being better and more efficient. That, that's, that's been a takeaway and a silver lining for me in, in, this, in this time period. Okay, cool. And where can people reach you? I mean, we've talked about how amazing your dresses are. Where do they find you? So they can check out our website, www.sortobridal.co.za. They can also see us on Instagram and Facebook, as well as on Pinterest. So um, all our contact details are on that. And, but Instagram is our main, our main page where you'll, you'll find the latest things that are happening. Um, and we're still finishing off our website, like I said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the time to do it. So we are busy with that and trying to, to do that as well. And also to check out Mzanti Bride for the yes. brides that are looking for reputable black wedding suppliers. We're there um, and we try to hold each other accountable and teach and learn from each other and improve the service offerings we all bring to the table. Thank you for listening. Thank you for giving us your ears. Catch us on the social media streets. On Facebook, it's Stripped the Podcast. On Instagram, at Stripped underscore the podcast. And on the Twitter streets, Stripped underscore podcast.